0: It's good to be here uh, from, from Calgary, as Brian mentioned earlier this morning. I still remember uh, those days in LA with Brian and Ian as we were at seminary together, and um, I didn't know that the Lord was going to unite our hearts together in such a way that we would wind up uh, planting churches on the same weekend. And so, for the last ten years, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, Ian and I have been preaching the same passage. Um, every weekend and uh so every week we talked with each other saying hey what what are you seeing in the text we try to come up with an outline sometimes we agree as to what the outline is and other times we're like you go your way i'll go mine and uh, we'll go from there but um one of the blessings for me has been to hear about you guys and what the lord is doing in your hearts and we've been going through the book of romans just as you guys have been going through the book of romans and um I'm trusting that the Lord is has been stirring your heart about the beauty of the gospel as we've been studying this book uh, if you're new with us this morning just a reminder that as you start out the book uh, Paul talks about our identity in the gospel and he talks about the fact that we're united in the gospel and then he got to the point where in verse 16 where he's going to sum up the really the point of the whole book that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. And then he begins to make the case, as he's done, uh, as you guys have been studying the same as us uh, in Calgary, the last two weeks we've been looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, seeing why is the gospel necessary? And as we looked at that, we've understood that every single person on this earth knows that there is a God. People can say differently, but the Bible tells us that everyone knows that there's a God, but we're suppressing that truth. We're trying to hold it down, and, and the picture is like this giant spring trying to come up, and you're just like pressing that truth down. Like, I gotta just keep it down. And then and as we do that, we exchange the truth for a lie. We exchange worship for the Creator, for worship for the creation, and that idolatry leads to immorality. And that's what he has just summed up in chapter one. And you could get to the end of chapter one, and you could be one of those people who think you're, I'm a pretty good person. And you get to the end of chapter one, you're like, that's right, Paul. All those people deserve the wrath of God. And, And almost like having this us versus them kind of mentality. Well, what is the hope for the person who's lost in their sin? The person who, who, who is who is locked in their idolatry. Well, it's the hope of the gospel. For those who are astray from the Lord, there can be this, this, this getting to the bottom of it and understanding, I need something, I need a savior. But for the person who feels like they're a good person, it can be difficult for them to understand why they need the gospel. And as we get into chapter two, and and I'll do part one this week, and then Pastor Ian's going to continue on and get us right into chapter three. Not just those people who are in hardened rebellion need the Lord. Those people who also are in heartless religion need the Lord. Those kind of people who, you know, I'm doing the religious thing. And in, in our context here, Jewish people who kind of like we're God's chosen people. We're good. We don't we don't need anything beyond what we have. We're God's chosen people. The Gentiles, they're all going to deserve the wrath of God, but we're okay. And what we're going to find is that they're not okay. And they maybe they would sing the song Amazing Grace. They would sing it like this, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. All right? Not like me, like you and uh as we as we're going through this we're going to see that they held to the fact that, that we're god's people we're okay with him despite what their actions said and this morning we want us to be thinking about what it, what are my actions saying about where i'm truly at and so part one as we look at god's judgment coming against us we're going to see that god's judgment is coming against us according to his righteous judgment according to his righteous judgment. He's not an earthly judge who may may be tempted to change his verdict based on who you are. You know, if you have a little bit more money, maybe a different verdict. If you're a certain race, maybe a different verdict. That's not how God works. God is a God who is just, a God who is right in his judgment, and he will punish for sin no matter who you are, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And that's going to be the point as we look at the text today, but let me just pray for us, and then we're going to get into the text here this morning. Lord God, it is so good to be here. Lord, to study your word together. And this morning I'm praying, Lord, that by the power of your spirit you would show us the reality of our condition. that God maybe Some of us here this morning have been deceived by our deceitful hearts as to where we're really at. God, would you show us by your spirit what the reality of our situation is, what the truth of our situation is. God, we want to be pleasing to you. God, we want to be a people who are being conformed into the image of Christ in an increasing way. And God, if we have been relying upon our own works, if we've been relying upon religion to save us, God, would you even this morning show us that? Would you remind us of the power of the gospel this morning? And may you be brought glory and honor in all that is said and done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we all need a Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, maybe you have an app. You can turn to Romans chapter two. um, I'm sure Pastor Ian says the same thing, but but the preacher really has nothing for you. You understand what I'm saying by that? Uh, I have nothing to make up here. If that was just you might as well go and just turn on your TV or flip open to whatever. But we're here to study God's word and it's the authority over us this morning. And so uh, I'm praying that I just can stay out of the way of God's word. And this morning, this morning, we'll learn what God has for us when it comes to His truth for us. So Romans 2, 1 through 5, let me read it, and then we're going to break it down together. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Will be revealed. God's righteous judgment is coming against all mankind. And there's three things that are necessary for you and I if we're going to avoid His righteous judgment. Three things that are necessary for you and I if we're going to avoid His righteous jas- judgment. The first thing is this. We need to have an accurate view of your sin. You need to have an accurate view of your sin. And going back to verse 1, he says, Therefore... As you know, when we see the word therefore, we want to see what's the, there, there, what's the therefore therefore, right? That, we, that points us back. And, and what Paul has been doing in his argument here is saying, see, the wrath of God is being revealed, verse 18, against those who know that there's a God. He's continuing this thought now in chapter 2, verse 1, where he's saying, you too also know, Jews. You also know. And therefore, he says, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. When you judge, you understand that there is a good and there's a bad, that there's a right and that there's a wrong. And so he's saying you have no excuse based on the fact that you are judging others. As soon as you and I begin passing judgment on, on, on others, we show that we understand that there is a right and wrong. Now some people will read this and they automatically jump to the most popular verse in our society today Matthew 7 Judge not right That's what he's saying here we're nobody's supposed to judge we're supposed to just you know let everybody do their own thing but that's not the context of Matthew 7 and that's not the context of here In Matthew 7 when he's talking about judge not lest not you be judged he continues on to say hey before you go start picking the speck out of other people's eyes Take the log out of your own eye, or the logging company, as my sister used to uh, translate, right? Take the logging company. Like, the whole analogy is what? Listen, you also have sin. So before you go and you talk to your brother or sister in Christ about their sin, you need to check your own heart first. That's the whole point. And if you doubt that, look at 1 Corinthians 5. In 1 Corinthians 5, there's a brother who's in sin. And the church there is told to judge that brother. They are to remove that brother because of his sin until hopefully he repents and returns to them a repentant man. So it's not talking about just judging. It's talking about the person who is hypocritical. He says and continues on in verse 1, For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Uh, Let's just take an analogy. The person sees that another person is lying, and they make a really big deal about that. Did you see that person? They're a liar. They deserve God's judgment. They deserve that God would come against them because they're a liar. And then they turn around and what? Lie themselves. He's saying, listen, you're being a hypocrite. He continues on. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. In other words, there is such thing as a right and a wrong. When when that person says that when that person lies, they deserve judgment, it's correct. It's not incorrect. In our society of, of there is no such thing or right or wrong, you know how it goes, right? What might be right for you is right for you. And what might be wrong for you is wrong for you, but may not be the same for me. That's not a biblical understanding. The Bible says that when God says something, it's wrong; it's always wrong. When God says something is right, it's always right. God's righteous requirement does not change. And so Paul is affirming here that the list of sins that have just been spoken of in chapter one, which was like 21 plus the sexual sins, 21 different vices plus the sexual sins, those things all deserve God's judgment. But then he says this, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? How is it that you think that if Bob sins by lying, he should be condemned, but if you sin, by lying that you should be okay why do you think that what are you thinking what are you what are you saying about God's righteous judgment that that he would convict one person for a crime but not you for that very same crime and the reality is that some of us think about life like that right WE SEE THE SIN IN OTHERS, BUT WE DON'T SEE THE SIN IN OURSELVES. THERE'S A STORY TOLD ABOUT A BAKER WHO LIVED IN QUEBEC, AND uh, HE HAD BOUGHT HIS BUTTER FROM A NEIGHBORING FARMER. ONE DAY HE BECAME SUSPICIOUS THAT THE BUTTER WAS NOT THE SAME WEIGHT, AND THEREFORE DECIDED TO SATISFY HIMSELF ABOUT IT. FOR SEVERAL DAYS HE WEIGHED THE BUTTER, AND THEN, found that the rolls of butter that the farmer brought were diminishing in weight. This so angered him that he had the farmer arrested. So he came before the judge, and the judge said to him, I assume you have weights. And the farmer replied, no, sir. And he said, well, how do you manage to weigh the butter that you sell? He said, that's easily explained, your honor. When the baker began buying his butter from me, I thought I'd get my bread from him, and it's the one-pound loaf I've been using as a weight for the butter itself. <laughs> if the weight of the butter is wrong, he has himself to blame, right? The, sto- the point of the story is clear, right? There's this guy who's so worked up about the sin of the farmer, but totally oblivious to the fact that he also was guilty of the same thing. And in fact, he was the only one that was guilty in this illustration. So easy for us to see the wrong in others. Married couples, we know about that, right? Easy easy to see the sin in our spouse, but really slow to see the sin in ourselves. Same in our parenting, right? I can remember, you know, especially when the kids were young and, and you know, the The sins were a little bit more repetitive at least openly and and i can remember thinking i can't believe you and 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 god just bringing conviction conviction to my heart like really you can't believe really like do you do you see your own life how you often do the same thing and and uh but it's easy to see in someone else but really hard for us to see in our in 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 our our own lives charles bridges said this if we were our own judges would ever be condemned we're so quick to have a reason for why we've done what we've done but the bible says when you sin you sin it doesn't matter your reasons for doing it well i was tired i was hungry i was i'm under stress covid We just say COVID now, like, oh, okay, then it's totally fine. It's not okay. And yet, in our viewpoint of ourselves, we think that we are righteous. Paul is saying here, look, don't believe that you are righteous based on the simple fact that you are a Jew. As I think about the church, I see a whole lot of us versus them especially those of us who've kind of grown up in the church for a long time. We watch the news. We look at social media. We go to work. We go to school. And we walk away thinking, what a messed up world. True. True. But what we fail to see is that we're part of that messed up world. And the only reason that there would be any good in you and I is because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the gospel that saved us out of the mess. There's none of us here who can say, well, (laughs) look at me, look at me, follow me. I'm a great person. You should just do what I do. I mean, who of us can say that? We only can do what we can do because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has said and done in our lives we have to be careful not to look at the world and use condescending tones. Instead, I don't know, as you got to end of chapter one last week, I, I don't know about you guys, but just the burden I felt for the lostness of mankind. And in understanding, I would be in that very same spot if it wasn't for God's grace in my life. So instead of condescending, we should be crying and saying, Lord, be merciful to these people. Use me to go and proclaim the gospel. Let's not be like Jonah. Right? Remember Jonah? He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because he knows that God is gracious and merciful and that if he goes and preaches to them and tells them to repent, chances are they're going to repent. He doesn't want that. He wants them to be condemned. May God... Make us not like Jonah. This passage needs to be a wake up call for you and I. Though most of us are not Jewish, I think we can quickly think that God has a different standard of judgment for us simply because we go to church and are good people based on our standard of right and wrong. We have a wrong view of ourselves and the reality of our own sinfulness. This comes from having a wrong view of God. And if we're going to avoid God's righteous judgment, then you must also have an accurate view of your God. So we need an accurate view of ourselves, but we also need an accurate view of our God. We see this in verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's ki- kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Do you have an accurate view of God here this morning? seems like there's two extremes often when it comes to people's view of God. One, they're either thinking that God is kind of like some kind of gummy bear, like that has no real convictions on anything. He's just like this loving God, and he's just, you know, he's just happy if we talk to him every now and then, and... You know, he, 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 he doesn't really judge us. He just, he just is really happy that, that we would even, even think of there he, he, was even exi- he even exists. So there's that one extreme. And then the other extreme is like God's just sitting there waiting. Okay. As Soon as they mess up, bam, I'm going to get him. Right? Like that. there's a lot of people who think that that's the view of God. Like he's just this angry God up in the sky, just waiting to toss down lightning stri- strikes on people or something. Right? But that's not, neither view is right. Paul here gives us insight as, as to, into who God is. He does so by asking another rhetorical question Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? Do you look at different translations? Some say, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Others say, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness? When you think that you can sin and avoid judgment, then you are showing contempt for God's mercy. Our God is a very merciful God. If he was not, then mankind would have been destroyed a long time ago. God had warned in the garden, if you choose to sin, then you choose to die. And they chose to sin. And death came into the world, but God was gracious and patient. When we look at the Scriptures, we see that God is slow to anger, but quick to give mercy. Exodus 34, 6 says this. Exodus 34, 6. When Moses was having this encounter with God, God said this of himself, The Lord, the Lord, A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Is that how you view God? Do you see his kindness towards you? He describes his kindness here as his forbearance, his patience, in the words, God. Not giving us what we deserve for our sin, but being patient with us. Ortland says this, God doesn't have his finger on the trigger. It takes much accumulated provoking to draw out his ire. Unlike us who are often emotional dams ready to break, God can put up with a lot. This is why the Old Testament speaks of God being provoked to anger by his people dozens of times. But not once are we told that God is provoked to love or provoked to mercy. His anger requires provocation. His mercy is pent up, ready to gush forth. Isn't that a great reminder? As you look at the Old Testament, sometimes people look at the Old Testament like, Oh, he was an angry God. Do we see the hundreds of years of God's patience in there? Like even when you think about the people that God judged through the nation of Israel for 400 years they were in Egypt. 400 years they had they had an opportunity to repent but did not repent. And then God brought them in to judge them. When you think about the nation of Israel how they continued to provoke God to anger. But when they would turn, he would quickly be gracious and merciful to them over and over again. Why is God so patient towards the sinner? It says right here God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. His kindness is not him condoning your sin. Some people think that they can, you know, like, well, God hasn't struck me down yet, so he must be okay with what I'm doing. That's not what's going on. God is being patient towards you so that you might have time to still repent. In Peter, 2 Peter 3.9, talking about why hasn't Jesus come back yet? He says this in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's kindness isn't condoning your sin. It is being patient towards you so that you might still repent, that you still would have time to get things right with him. Who needs to repent? What Paul is making clear here, it's not just those pagan Gentiles that need to repent. The Jews also needed to repent. Just them being born Jewish did not make them automatically okay with him. They also needed to repent of their sin. And when they did the same thing as the Gentiles did, the right thing for them to do would be to repent. A lot of you have friends or relatives who are not in Christ. They're, they're continuing to, to reject the gospel. And some of those people are like these people. They think they're good. They don't need to repent. They don't need your religion. They don't need Jesus Christ because they're okay with God. Right? You ask them if they're going to, where are they going to go when they die? What do they say? I'm going to go to heaven. If there's such a place, I'm going to go there. How many funerals do you go to that everyone's like, yeah, Bob's in hell right now? <laughs> like nobody says that, right? He's in a what? A better place. Everybody thinks he's in a better place. Everyone, everyone thinks that even, even though they're going like this with the truth of God and that he is real, that even if there is a God, at the end of the day, they will be able to kind of smooth things over with him, that they'll be okay because why? because they me- believe that they're mainly good people who don't need saving. Those are the hardest people to re- to reach. The the guy who has been given over to his sin, like we read in Romans chapter 1, and he's like his whole life is a train wreck. That person's ready for the gospel, right? Cuz they they've they've gone after their sin and they've they're seeing it's not working. That what they thought was going to bring fulfillment in their life is is bringing destruction. And they're ready for the gospel. But the good person who has kind of a neat and tidy kind of home, they just think, why do I need God? And this was the people that Paul is writing to here. And he's saying, listen, do not presume on God's kindness and his patience towards you. He's giving you time, but time to repent. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Do you think that you can presume upon the kindness of God for a lifetime and walk in unrepentant sin and think everything will turn out well for you? This leads us to our last point. If you're going to avoid God's righteous judgment, then you also must have an accurate view of your future. You need to have an accurate view of your future. Paul gives them an insight into their future. If you continue to walk in unrepentance, continue to think that it is other people who need saving, this will be your future. Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Listen, it's not going to end well with you. If you think that you can continue to play games with God, it will not end well with you. Origen has said said this, As God has made everything with a certain measure, weight, and number, so also his patience has certain limits. Erasmus said this, He who thought that the long suffering of God's goodness was something to laugh at will not hesitate to beg for mercy. god is a god who is righteous who is just and he has to punish sin he either does that through his son or he does it to you for your sin it is up to you he talks to the people here the reason that they have not repented is because of their hard and impenitent heart The heart here when he talks about impenitent is pertaining to not being repentant, not turning to God, refusing to turn to God. Although God was patient with them over and over again, they refused to repent and turn to God for salvation. Their stubborn pride refused to admit that they needed saving. It's like the the three-year-old, like, I do it, Right? I do it my way, right? I do it like that's how many people are like that with their salvation. I got it, God. I don't need your help. And they'll find out that they did need his help. And instead of Jesus taking their wrath, they will take the wrath for themselves. In fact, he says here, you're storing up for yourselves wrath. Now, now this picture of storing up in Matthew 620, it's for good things, storing up good things for yourself. And that's what the Jewish people thought. They're like, we're, we're God's people. He loves us. He's, we're just storing up for ourselves this treasure in heaven someday. And he said, you're totally wrong. What you're storing up for yourself is wrath. And you're accumulating it day after day after day with your sin. And on that day of judgment, when you stand before God, the righteous judge will not be like, Oh, wait a minute, what was your ethnicity? Oh, then all the sins you have are are taken away. No, he will say, here's all the evidence of your sin. And you are guilty. And then the wrath of God will come upon that person. Their claim to be people of God will be just shown to be just that, a claim. That they never truly were the people of God. So this morning... What does your future look like right now? hundred years from now, where will you be? Not here. Amen to that, right? Hopefully, that's how you view it. As I thought about it, I think there's three different types of people here today. Some of you, I'm praying many of you, all of you I'm praying I've got to the point where you realized I'm not a good person I'm a sinner I took God's righteous commands and I said "Eh, I, I I can do them I can do whatever I want and you walked in rebellion against him but God in his grace showed you that and you recognize that you were a sinner who deserved god's wrath but that jesus came lived a perfect life went to the cross and on the cross took your sin took my sin upon himself and then the wrath of god was poured out on him instead of me and then on the third day, he rose again. I, I pray that every one of you understand that this morning, that though we deserve God's wrath because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have been saved from that wrath and you've repented of your sin and you've placed your trust in him. That's one group of people that could be here today. And as I pray, that's, I'm praying that's every one of you. But there could be others here. Others who right now are walking in rebellion against God. You're walking in unrepentant sin. Sadly, I've met a lot of people like this over the years. As I think about the last 10 years of ministry, the most heartbreaking situations that I've had to be a part of. Some in the church, some in my own family. When you talk to that person, you say, hey, listen, what you're doing is not okay with God. You're walking in sin, you're walking in rebellion against him, and and it's not going to turn out well for you. And what do they say? I'm okay with God. Who are you? Who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? I know that I'm okay with God. You're like, well, but the scriptures say that if you do these things, you're walking in rebellion against him. And what do they do? They leave. Some in our church, church disciplined, refusing to repent, and they leave and they say all kinds of nasty things about your church and they move on to the next church. And in the good situations, you see their lives broken apart. And I say good situations because then they were brought to repentance. I think about my sister. She had a time in her life where she just started walking away from the Lord and left her husband, started drinking a whole lot, and I would talk with her every now and then, and she'd just get angry. And she was just kind of one of those people who are like, she held grudges. So she, she wouldn't, we wouldn't talk for a while. But she drank a lot. And in a short time, she got cirrhosis of the liver. And I remember her calling and telling me that the doctor said she didn't have much time to live. And I said to Heather, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go up. Uh, to Red Deer, and uh, it's like an hour and a half away. That's where she was at the hospital. And I just want to go talk with her. And as I came in the room, she asked this, can God still forgive me? And she was forgiven. And then seven weeks later, she got to go meet Jesus. That's a good situation. Compared to the person, and this is the third category, the person who thinks that they're okay, but they've never repented. Last week, Pastor Ian talked about Hitler, right? How you can kind of compare yourself, like, well, I'm better than Hitler. And he was like, yeah, good for you, right? But do you know this about Hitler? Hitler made free use of Christian vocabulary. He talked about the blessing of the Almighty and the Christian confessions, which became the pillars of the new state. He rang bells, pulled out all the organ stops. It was reported for example he would show his tattered bible to some deaconesses and declared that he drew the strength for his great work from the word of god he was able to introduce a pious timber into his voice which caused many religious people to welcome him as a man sent from god and even when they started hearing about the atrocities that were happening they thought that hitler didn't know about it that's how fooled everyone was by hitler And maybe you're here this morning and you've grown up in the church. You know how to talk the talk. You know how to walk the walk. And you have everyone fooled. But most scarily, maybe you have yourself fooled this morning. Thinking that you're okay with God. But you've never repented of your sin. You've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm praying for you this morning that God would show you that every single person needs a Savior. And that God would bring conviction of your sin and even today, that you would repent of your sin and place your trust in Him. God is good and He is merciful and He is patient. But for all those who refuse to repent, the wrath of God will come upon them. Let me pray. Lord God, we Do you thank you for this word of warning this morning? Lord, such a reminder that every single one of us need a savior. God, you are so patient. You are so good to us. Lord, to some, you you turn us over to our sin and and you help us to see the lostness of it for others lord you try to draw us to you by being patient by being kind by by giving us space so that we could repent but god you call every man and woman to repentance and god i'm praying for this congregation this morning i'm praying for all who would hear this sermon god would you be gracious Lord, even this morning, would you convict them of sin and their need to repent? God, maybe there are some of your your children here this morning right now, they're walking in known sin, but they think that they can repent of, of it later. God, show them that now is the day of repentance. Don't put it off. Lord, we don't know when the day of judgment will come. So God, help us to be ready. Lord, help us to put our trust in you and you alone for your glory and for your honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.